this morning, uh, it's a very important time in our study of the book of Matthew, and we're finally, finally there. And I want to tell you that uh, as we look at this passage this morning, uh, this is a, a life-changing passage, a life-changing passage. Um, and, and I don't want to just say life-changing for you, but really, it's the event of history. It's a pretty big claim, huh? You know, some of you are saying, well, uh, I went to school, I took history, I took history every year because they made me. And uh, there's all kinds of important uh, events of history, and I want to tell you, this is it. This is the one. Uh, and it, it, life culminates for us in whether this event means anything to us. And I want to tell you, if, if it does mean something to you, it's going to change uh, your politics. It's going to change your politics. And some of you are mad that I even mentioned it. Uh, that's okay. I'm not telling you how to vote or what to think on things, but I want to tell you, if this event means anything to you, uh, it will be more important to you than politics, and it will shape how you think about this world that we live in. Whether you live here in the United States or any place, really, yeah, I want to tell you. It'll also uh, shape the way you look at marriage. It'll cause, I, I think it's interesting that uh, most of us look on the day we got married and we say, boy, that changed my life that day. Uh, it, it, everything changed that day. Or maybe you look at the birth of your children. Most of the time you're firstborn because you didn't know what you were doing and then you didn't know what you were doing with a child. And so it changed in a dramatic way that day. Um, you look at these dates and I want to tell you this event shapes how you look at your children and your spouse. It shapes how you, uh, I want to be honest with you, it should shape how you, your schedule is this week. I don't know what you got going on your week. Pull out your calendar. I don't want to ruin your week. Anyways, but uh, some of you know what you're doing this week because uh, your kids told you what you're going to do this week, right? Uh, uh, but I, I, I want to tell you, this event should shape your schedule and how you look at your schedule. And how uh, the things that are super important to do and the things uh, I'll do them if I have time. Um, I, I want to tell you, this, this event should shape everything for us. And I hope that this morning as we look in it, look at uh, this, that we will be able to see how important this is and how important this is for us. I realize that some of you are re retired here today and you're happy about it. Uh, this event should shape how you look at your retired days. I know some of you are young and you say, well, I don't even, can't even imagine retirement. I, this event should shape how you look at your youthfulness, your, your young days. Uh, th this is the event uh, where it all culminates in the scripture. And so um, if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I want to look at Matthew. I want to read to you Matthew chapter 27. And I want to start reading at verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others say, wait, let let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split, and tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after the resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion uh, and those who were with, with him keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. There were many uh, women there uh, looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. God, we ask your blessing on your word. Uh, We ask that you would open our hearts. We ask that you would do your work in us. That you would reorder our life based upon what your son did on the cross. It's in his name we pray. Amen. may be seated. So last week we looked at the physical uh, part of the the crucifixion. And remember... uh, that the Roman soldiers that were probably in charge of probably four or five, six of them, uh, not, a, not a ton, that they were going about a crucifixion. They'd done this before, most likely. Uh, in fact, they were doing one, and there were two others that were being crucified as well. Uh, it was part of their job. It was something that happened in that culture. This was something that they used as part of uh, the criminal justice system of their day. Uh, that people would die for the things that they had done. Over and over again, in preparation for Jesus being condemned to die, we see over and over again, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. And then finally, uh, he's condemned to die, though he's not guilty. And, And you see this over and over again up to this point. And then last week, we looked at him actually being nailed to the cross. The charge, uh, as we look at the the charge that keeps coming up over and over again was they were bringing before him that he said he was king. He said he was king of the Jews. In fact, on the cross, it was a marker that this was the charge that he said he was king of the Jews. This is and this is who he was. Uh, over and over again, we see knowing who he was and knowing the whole story from the book of Matthew. We realize that even in their mockings, they came up with the right conclusion that he is king of the Jews. He was king over all. And now uh, we see. I, I want to say it this way: the last three hours of his life. The last three hours, we picked up the story in verse 45 where it says the sixth hour and there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. The, the idea being that time from noon until three. 
And, and we get this picture in the middle of the day. And I want you to look outside right now. Today is a spring day. Do you guys love it? Some of you are wanting to sneeze just looking out there, you know. Uh, it's a spring day. It's a spring day. And, and, and it's this idea that it's a lot like any other spring day uh, here in Tehachapi, unless it's super foggy and snowing. You know, those are also possibly spring days. But it was just a normal day. And a normal day at noon to three is what we're looking at. Just a normal day. And the soldiers were going about their normal business of crucifying someone because that was their job. And so we see this time and this place. But in verse 45, it says, A darkness uh, came upon the land. And the idea being, probably not the entire world. We don't know. It doesn't describe that. But definitely not just on the hill. It's not just a cloud, but it's the, the idea of the, the land, the area, the possibly, you know, all of Israel at that time. There's a darkness that covers it. And some people try to go, oh, yeah, a cloud. You know, I, I've had these situations where it's been super dark and it's been midday. I want to tell you that what we're getting described for us uh, by Matthew under the inspiration of God, is this, that it's a normal day like today. And it comes to the place and time where Jesus is crucified. And then it comes to the appointed time that God the Father saw, and it becomes darkness. A strange, unexplained darkness fell over from noon to three. You look at that and you go, boy, that would be weird. I know uh, some of you follow the weather and you you, you love uh, unique things and whether there's a, a funny storm or something like that, and you, you're fascinated by it. Well, I want to tell you that day would have been a day for you. We realized that, that there were bystanders, people just walking by and they're hurling uh, insults at him. And there were others following at a distance, even as I read. And there were people participating. And then all of a sudden, it becomes dark. Uh, unexplained darkness. As if God was saying, this is you apart from me. An unexplained darkness. This is a, a picture of what it is to be without me. Darkness. You can see in the New Testament over and over again, this idea of sin being dark. The deeds of darkness. That there's a a sense of dark. We even say it of films. Oh, that film was really dark. What are we saying? We're saying it was filled with wickedness. And we see different things and we go, oh, we just can't handle that. It gives me bad dreams or it causes me to become depressed. Why? Because it's dark. And God in his plan at the time of the death of his son brought a darkness for three hours. You can imagine if you were one of these people, one of these soldiers or one of these people just walking by and you just happen to be there and you're like, What is going on? I want to tell you that uh, as I studied this passage, I couldn't get away from this idea that God was wanting to say, this is a different day. This is something, this is just isn't another crucifixion. This is something special. 
So we see this darkness that is connected with sin and the judgment of God. Uh, and interestingly enough, Jesus is called the light of the world. And in his death, there was darkness that filled the land. It's dramatic. It's dramatic. I, I, I think that most of us, uh, we things catch us off guard. This would have caught us off guard. This would have been unexplainable to us. A dramatic exclamation point from the father and the son's death. In verse 46, it tells us this. It says about the ninth hour, that three o'clock area, uh, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. Um, that is Aramaic. That is Aramaic. And we have the translation here uh, brought to us by Matthew that says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Picture Jesus on the cross, and he says in Aramaic, he says in Aramaic, this phrase that is describing his relationship to the Father, my God, my God, crying out to him, and then saying, why have you forsaken me? Or not so much a question, but this, uh, this idea of at that moment in time, he experienced uh, the, the forsaking of the Father. It, it was a break in communion. It was a break in, in friendship and in partnership and in, in, in fellowship with him. They were in this perfect relationship up to this point. And, and then in this moment, he cries out, uh, acknowledging what is happening. And what is happening? The father and the son separate for a time. You look at this, and, and this particular moment, this, this particular moment or moments, we, we, we don't know how long, we don't have this described for us in Scripture. And I want to stop for a moment. Some of you here today, you might be saying, well, how do you know all those things really happened? You know, we have no record. You know, we have no record that says that darkness really fell. And, you know, you, you, how do you know Jesus even said that? How do you know? And I want to tell you, God spoke to us in a book. He had it written down. This is history, but it's not just history. It's God saying, I want to tell you about history. And here it is. It's for you. And so he spoke to us in a book, the Bible. As we look at this this, this morning, we, we see this, this cry out that on the cross, Jesus cries out. He's, he's quoting, uh, at least partially, in Psalm 22. And this comes just at those moments before his death. Understanding the abrupt loss of his communion with the Father, he calls out to the Father in relationship, my God, my God. And then he acknowledges this break in communion. And you're saying, what is the big deal with this break in communion? I want to tell you, it's at, at this point that he bore the sins of many. He bore the sins of those of this world. It, it's at that moment where the father and the son disconnect from one another. And the father is pouring out his anger and wrath upon his innocent son. His innocent son for all the sins of the world. That's a big deal. 
that's a big moment or moments in time. We don't, we don't have the, but that's, this is the point. And as we consider this this morning, some of us, I showed this last week, some of us get caught up in the beatings. We get caught up in the exhaustion. We get caught up in the crown of thorns. And, and even the nailing of the nails to Him on, on a cross. This idea that, that that is somehow what was so difficult. That was not what was so difficult. This moment is where it all comes down. This is the wrath of God poured out on His innocent Son. This is the point in time where if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that He paid for each and every one of your sins. This is the point in time. As you consider this, uh, I want to tell you that Matthew doesn't uh, drag this on and on. But for, for us to understand, this is the moment in time that everything changes for us. And I want to tell you, if you uh, just want to be a good person here today, this moment isn't for you. It is, it's not about you being a good person. It's about you having the gift that God has given you in Him going to the cross. If you could be a good person, if you could be good enough for heaven, Jesus wasted his time by going to the cross. Because you couldn't be good enough, he went to the cross to pay, to bear your sins and mine. I want to tell you, I, I believe that. My sins, the things that I have done, the things that I am guilty of, he paid for on the cross. And you say, are you saying that hypothetically? No, I'm saying that actually. That I'm a sinner. That I've done things that have been opposed to what God has said in His Word. That they've been not just disappointing to Him, but they've been rebellious. And I have disobeyed. And at that moment in time, my sins were paid for by the innocent blood of the Savior, Jesus Christ. He bore our sins. Verse 47, it goes on, and uh, as some were standing there, the, some of these bystanders, uh, they, they heard His loud voice, and uh, as people do, they hear what they want to hear. Uh, he said, my God, my God. And they said, oh, maybe He is calling out for Elijah. If you go to the Old Testament, you realize that Elijah didn't die. He was swept up into the heavens. And, and what that meant for these uh, people at this time was they were kind of uh, intrigued by Elijah and thought of him as kind of this mysterious, mystical, uh, miracle worker type. And maybe Elijah's going to show up and there's going to be a miracle. They'd seen the darkness already. They heard him cry out. And so they said, maybe he's crying out for Elijah. One seeks to give him a drink and, and to bring this compassionate drink, even as the previous one, a little bit different, but uh, th this compassionate drink. And another says, no, don't, don't give him that. Wait, let us see if Elijah will come and save him. I, I want to point out to you right now, because I think this whole section about these couple of verses about Elijah is this once again, that Maybe Elijah will come and he won't die. 
Maybe there'll be some kind of miracle where Jesus won't have to die. And if you've been following with us in the book of Matthew, Jesus at every point uh, did not escape death. When they were coming to arrest him, he said, no, I'm, I'm going. When he was before uh, different uh, authorities and different trials, they, there was opportunity for him to get out of it, but he didn't want to get out of it. And even as he walked to, to the cross and there were things along the way that would somehow escape the pain of the cross and, and Jesus didn't sidestep it. Why? Because it was the plan of the Father. And why? Because God so loved the world. He, he loved you and he loved me. And so you look at why would Jesus go to the cross and experience physical pain? Why would Jesus go to the cross and experience the wrath of the Father poured out on him, the Son? Why? Because it was the plan of the Father. And because God loved us so much that he gave his Son. This brings us uh, to... This last uh, little verse, verse 50. And this verse 50 is really the whole story right here. And it's very, it seems anticlimactic. But know this, uh, verse 50 brings conclusion to this. It says this, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Jesus died. I love the way Matthew records it because it's, it's as it was. He yielded up his spirit. It doesn't say he ran out of gas. It doesn't say the pain of this moment brought him to the place of death. But he offered himself. He yielded up himself. He gave way. Uh, from this life to death. This is what Jesus did. These were these last three hours of his life. And his crucifixion, to, to embrace that and to say, this, this was for me. It wasn't exclusively for me. It were, it's for all who would believe. But this idea that this is the, the game changer for me. This is the moment in time where this changes everything after that. What Jesus did on my behalf and for all who would believe. It's done. I, I, I want to stop here for a moment, verses 50 to 51, and just interject something there. Uh, many of you have been around when people have passed away. And... Uh, we can talk about the final hours of someone's life. We can say, well, you know, they, they were, you know, they were struggling for days. Maybe they're on hospice. Maybe they're this and that and those last and their breathing changed and they had a moment of rally. And then, and then I was there. And then all of a sudden they breathed their last breath. And they were gone. And at that moment in time, there's a sense of relief and a sense of it's done, it's finished. 
there's no more story here. There's no more events. There's nothing to punctuate that time. It's just over. That's really uh, what we get in verse 50. And then verse 51 begins a next section that I just call the after-death chaos or the unexpected after-death chaos. In verse 51, it says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Matthew takes us from the cross area where he was crucified to the temple. And obviously, this isn't eyewitness there, eyewitness there, but they connected the story and they, they showed as a reporter would say, at that same time, what happened in the temple? What happened in the temple was... There was a curtain that was torn in two. It's as if you look at the darkness and you say, that was unexplained darkness. Now we go to the temple and there's an unexplained tearing of the curtain. And you say, well, maybe it was old. Maybe there was a gust of wind. It was a windy day that day. Maybe someone left the door open. Maybe uh, mice had gotten to, like you have all these physical things. And Matthew is not recording for us. By the way, by the way, by the way, you know why it's sunny out today? You know why it's sunny out today? Kids could have got this so quickly. You guys are so slow. Y'all, all you adults are going, uh, well, the atmospheric pressure of the barometer, oh, I don't, you know, it's this time of year. It's uh, the way the moon, like, you're going through all these. I want to tell you, it's sunny today because God desired it so. Okay? I don't mean to be, some of you are like, where are you? Come on now. Get with me. It, I, I want to tell you, it, it, if you, Look at what's going on. It's part of the plan of God. It, if it's something, uh, even something normal, you, you realize that God has control over the normal as well. This is not the normal, what we're talking about here. But God is, he's saying, this is something important. This, I, I want you to know. And so you see this curtain in the temple. Matthew takes us there. This curtain is torn in two. Well, let's talk real briefly about the curtain. Uh, as you consider this, this morning, you realize we're in the temple. In the temple, uh, there's a couple of different curtains, but both of them have the same uh, function. It's to separate. It's to separate. Most believe that this curtain was the entry point or that which separated everyone from the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. And e- even the priest couldn't go in to this area of the Holy of Holies. Except the high priest went once a year and it was with great fear to go into the presence of God. And so we believe as as Jesus died on the cross at that moment in time, what we're connecting here is this, what Matthew has connected, what God has connected is that at the moment his son's death, the veil in the temple was torn in two. And it says from top to bottom. And it's as if God is taking with his own hands and taking it as a paper and ripping it and tearing it in two. Meaning what? 
Meaning what? There's no longer this fearful separation between us and God. There's no longer this idea that, oh no, what will God think of me? He knows everything I've done. He knows who I am. He knows how unholy I am. He knows me and, and I, I can't go into his presence. I want to tell you, before it's changing everything. This is a, a day and a moment in time that's changing everything. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, the veil is torn in two. We no longer have this fear of connecting with God because of what Christ had done. We no longer need a man. We don't need a high priest. We don't need a pope. We don't need a dead saint. Not even Mary, mother of our Lord. We have direct access because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And some of you, that, oh, that grates on you when I say that. I want to tell you, that's the significance. That's the significance of that moment. It's the freedom that comes where God himself acknowledged, acknowledged that it is no longer, it is no longer us going through anyone. But Jesus paid it all. And he created access that we could connect with him forever. We see the curtain uh, torn in two. Uh, in verse 51, it says earthquakes and rocks. Uh, you, you look at this and you go, what, what my, you have this darkness. Then you have the, the veil torn in two. And then you see uh, that it says in that same verse, verse 51, and, and the earth shook and rocks were split. Um, you, I'm from Southern California. Earthquakes, used to them, you know. Uh, you just sleep through them or you go, oh, it's, it's earthquaking, you know. Uh, not a big deal. They come at unusual times. But I want to tell you, uh, God was making a point here. In connection, in connection, with the darkness in connection with the death of his son, uh, as the veil was torn in two, now you have earthquakes shaking the earth. So much so that you have rocks splitting open. And, and, and there's this visible picture. This is something different. This is something significant. As we go from uh, th this idea of the earthquakes and the rocks, uh, in chapter, in chapter 27, verse 52, we see something uh, that is very hard for us to picture. And we don't have a whole lot of details to it, but we know this. It says, the tombs were open, and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. What you have here is this, that Matthew is recording that in that time, people who had walked in faith, trusting in God of the past, it doesn't say all, it says some, that their tombs were open. We're going to talk about tombs in the weeks to come. But the idea of a tomb was uh, a cave-like structure that most likely was a hump in the ground that had been... Uh, and they were caves. They were like cemetery-type stuff. And the bodies were in there, and they were in there not just for a moment, not just for a day or 
three days, but permanently. And in the midst of the tearing of the, the curtain, the earthquakes, the rocks splitting open, the tombs also were open. They were obviously sealed for a purpose. It wasn't something where you uh, just had an open cave and somebody's body was in there. They were sealed. And at that moment in time that these tombs were open, they were open. It doesn't say we're struggling with time element here. It says the tombs were open, period. And, and then it says, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, meaning brought back to life. And coming out of the tombs after his, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Matthew takes here, he kind of jumps ahead in the story. And he says, uh, these tombs were open and these, some of those who had walked with, uh, walked after God, followed after God before, they were resurrected and they went into the city, but after Jesus' resurrection. So there's a time element here, okay? So this is really, as Matthew records it, it's kind of all one event from crucifixion to resurrection. We're going to take it in three weeks. Um, struggling just to get through the last three hours. Um, as you look at this, I think most of us go, oh, I want to know what that's like. Uh, the idea of someone who had been long been dead, the decomposing body, how would they be resurrected? I want to tell you, it's a real simple answer that you need to think about. It's a resurrection body. Uh, most of us think that uh, if, uh, if we die, we have this body, and it's going to be a lot like this body. There will be similarities to this body, but the idea of a resurrection body, one that has been brought to be with, will be different, even as Jesus' resurrection body was different. Okay, we'll get into that in the weeks to come. Please come back. Um, these bodies were raised, and uh, the tombs were opened. The bodies were raised, and following His resurrection, uh, they were um, they, they were seen in the city there. We see this in the scripture that uh, Jesus had the power over life and death. We remember Jairus' daughter who had passed away and uh, Jesus was powerful enough to bring her back to life. You, you also see Lazarus who was in a tomb and he was brought out uh, by the power of Christ. And in this moment in time, you, you need to know this, uh, that God also brought these back to life in connection with the death of His Son, His resurrection as well. It says that uh, they went into the city and appeared to many, uh, very similar language to Jesus Himself, that, that he, he went into the city and they saw this. And I, I want to tell you, this, though part of the plan of God, brought chaos to the area. Darkness, the, the temple curtain being torn in two, the earthquakes, the rocks, right? And now these tombs being opened and someone said, I saw so-and-so. They've been dead for years. I saw them. I, I'm positive I saw them. I spoke with them. And uh, maybe you saw a ghost. No, I, I talked to them. And God sets these events up for us and, and for, I, I want to even say the centurion that we're going to hear from in a moment, for us to know that this was something different. 
We now have uh, this Roman soldier and those who are with him. The witness's conclusion, verse 54. As you look at this, uh, you can imagine what it would have been like to be one of the guards, right? You're just doing your job. You're just doing your job. They told you to crucify this guy. Watch him because this guy's something special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll watch him. They, that's what they did, right? We looked at that last week. They, after they crucified him, they stayed and watched. Why? Because so, so they, they knew that there were maybe some followers that were going to do some stuff. Yeah, we just watch him. Okay. Crucify him. Watch him. Got it. And now they are coming to the end of the time where his life is gone. And yet they saw the darkness. They probably didn't see the curtain torn in two, but maybe they heard about it afterwards. They felt the earthquakes. They saw the rocks split open. Maybe parts of the two. They, they're putting all this together. And this was their conclusion. Their conclusion was, uh, they were keeping watch over Jesus, verse 54. They saw the earthquake and what took place, and they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Two things. They were filled with awe. They're tough guys, and it it shook them, the events that had happened. They're filled with awe. They realized that something greater was going on here, and they made the connection. This man was who he says he was. He was the Son of God. He was the one that he had spoken of. He's the one that we had waited for. It says also, as we, uh, as we conclude that there were others there as well, those who were followers, um, I, I want to say they were part of the cheap seats, right? Uh, they were followers. They had to be there, but they followed at a distance. They followed at a distance so that they would see the Savior. Um, that event may, meant everything to them, and that man meant everything to them, him. I want to give you three uh Three points to cling to as we consider this story here this morning. First one is this. This was not another crucifixion. This was not another crucifixion. Because it wasn't just another man, teacher, criminal. He was the innocent Son of God. It wasn't just another crucifixion. Secondly, Jesus accomplished the will of the Father in the cross. And when I say the will of the Father, you're going, well, okay, it's part of his plan. His plan was redemption. It was to, to redeem. It, it was to take your life in all its scars and bruises and all the things that are wrong, all the sins that you've committed, all the things you've done wrong. And in this sinful world, he wanted to take your life and to redeem it, to buy it back, to make it worthwhile. And I want to say it this way, not just to make it worthwhile, to, but to make it eternal. You're going to die. You're going to die. Your life will end here. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, he fulfilled the will of the Father by going to the cross so that you might be redeemed, so that you might have life eternal. 
Lastly, I just want to say it this way. He took our place. He took our place. The innocent for the guilty. Innocent for the guilty. He took our place. As you hear this story, it's it's a story for the world. It's a story for everyone, but it's a story personally for you as well. The innocent for the guilty. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you uh, for this morning, the ability for us to hear your message. Thank you for speaking to us in your word, but also in your son who went to the cross. We know you love us because your son went to the cross. We know your love is different than any other love that we've ever experienced because of the, the cost God, help us to be changed by the gospel that Jesus died for us. May that be uh, the change in us, bring about that change, the change of redemption. God, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, who hasn't uh, traded in their best tries for the complete work of what Jesus did on the cross. I pray that you'd work in their life even now, that they might embrace the message of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.